Hey, Vetfolio Voice listeners, so excited you're here for what was an extra special and incredibly fun episode to record. This episode is non-sponsored and features Dr. Eve Harrison of the House Call Vet Academy. Despite our having kind of a loose idea of what we wanted to talk about, we mostly ended up swapping house call stories and talking about how much we love our little place in the world as house call vets. So I hope you have as much fun listening to it as we had recording it. If you've listened to the podcast before, you've probably heard me talk about my house call practice, but this was something that I definitely didn't have much time to prepare for. I went from being an associate in a brick and mortar practice to a relief veterinarian to a mobile practitioner and business owner. There was a lot more to it than that, but in the midst of COVID-19's total upheaval of things, at the time it felt like my life did a really fast 180 and left me running to catch up. There was a huge learning curve, but eventually I ended up in a place where I knew I either had to transition back into a brick and mortar setting or find a way to fill in some of the gaps in my practice. Enter the House Call Vet Academy. After coming across what ended up being an amazing course, I decided to take the plunge and I'm sure as you can hear in my voice, I have absolutely no regrets. It helped me answer so many questions and fill in so many gaps. So really for anyone interested in mobile practice, I would first say you can do it. And this course can help answer so many of the scary questions that every new business or even experienced business owner encounters. My guest, the wonderful Dr. Eve Harrison, is a seasoned full-time concierge house call veterinarian in Los Angeles. She's one of only a tiny handful of pioneers practicing true veterinary concierge medicine. And her mobile practice has been through numerous seasons and iterations of itself, including being an acupuncture-only practice, a multi-doctor practice with an in-home euthanasia component, wellness-only, and finally a solo integrative concierge practice. Her passions are creative entrepreneurship, sustainability for veterinarians, boundaries, authentic communication, ethics, and releasing people who are not a good match for our practices. She's the founder of the online CE course, The House Call Vet Academy, which we talk about a fair bit in this episode, and offers coaching and consulting to help veterinarians nourish not only their patients, but themselves by helping them cultivate a profitable and sustainable mobile practice of their own. Outside of being a vet, Eve is a semi-professional musician, she's a flautist, yoga teacher, mushroom and plant lover, and certified compassion fatigue professional. Again, we had so much fun recording this episode. I really hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. Well, I'm super excited today because for this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Eve Harrison of the House Call Vet Academy, who I discovered by taking the course, the House Call Vet Academy. So highly recommend. Eve, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun having you in the course, and I'm so honored to be here. We're so happy to have you here. It really is an amazing course. There's, I, I came to the course as somebody who kind of already had my practice up and running, so I was able to kind of figure things out as I went. But there, you know, I knew there were a ton of holes that weren't filled in, and I wasn't exactly sure how to do it. And your course has just been an amazing resource. So thank you so much for making it. 
Oh, thank you so much. I I feel like what you're saying is the story of my own life, which is kind of why I created the course. Because, you know, years into having a practice, I was like, oh my God, there's so many holes. Like I, God knows what insurance I don't have that I should have. I don't even know. And so, you know, at a certain point when I when I kind of got to the point where I was like, oh my God, I think I have it figured out. I was like, why, why should everyone have to reinvent the wheel and kind of suffer through that anxiety of like, do I have what I need? Is this my, is my business the best version of itself that it can be? And, you know, so that, that's exactly pretty much why I created the course. So I'm really glad you're getting that out of it. Oh, a hundred percent. I am because there are so many things where it, even just resource wise, where you're like, okay, I know what the hole is. I know I need to fill in this gap then, but how do I do it? Who do I ask? Where do I go? And all of those resources are there. It's been so nice. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like we have these like to-do lists in the back of our minds for like years even, and someone just needs to put a link in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> like a, like a <laughs> SOP, like this is how you complete this step-by-step. Step, so you don't have to like look it up and learn everything the hard way and kind of guess and hem and haw, like, is this right? And sometimes just having a little bit of ease, like just, just a little bit of extra support, I think is for me anyway, that's what gets stuff done. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, we've already kind of gone down this road of how wonderful your course is. And I'm sure, you know, everybody can hear the excitement in my voice taking it. But let's learn a little bit more about you. Tell us about your background. I found it super interesting that you actually went into a surgical residency after vet school. Yeah, that that is an interesting thing about my path. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they just, you know, there. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of differences between house call and surgical residency. But of course, you know, I'm one who I don't, I, I got away from surgery because I like sleeping at night and it was not conducive to my sleeping. You know, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> they are literally polar opposites. So kind of my story is that when I graduated from vet school, I did an internship and I always thought that I wanted to do a surgical residency. And I think my my interest in, in that came from you know, I'd done a lot of like RAVS trips and like international work. And that kind of work tends to be really heavy on the surgical. And I remember thinking to myself, the, the patients that survived have a vet that is really good at surgery. And that's what I want to do. I want to be good at this. And I ended up applying and, and surprisingly to me, surprisingly matching at a residency right out of my general internship. And it turns out it was really not a good match for me. I think some of it was sort of conceptual that the idea of surgery that was really in my heart was kind of a little bit more rugged and like, <laughs> like out in the field. And like, obviously, I know specialty surgery is completely different. Like you're not doing TPLOs on a RABS trip to a Native American reservation. Like, obviously not. <laughs> but I would some, say probably on, not on most of those trips. <laughs> not on most. Um, I mean, RABS changed my life for sure, like put a vision in my head. But I pursued it in kind of like a funky way. And, you know, I thought to me, I felt like to be a good surgeon is to be the best version of a veterinarian that you could possibly be. And I wanted to walk that path. And I remember as a tech or as an assistant seeing veterinarians I'd worked under either struggle through surgery or become very nervous or anxious. And I completely get that. But I was like, that's not what I want for myself. You know, some some part of me went into surgical residency because of my fear that I wouldn't be good enough as a vet without it. But 
you know, when I, when I kind of got there, I was just really not in my element. There was something deeper within me that was needing to be filled and, and a way that I needed to learn that was not available in, in that environment and kind of a, there was some generational learning technique issues and some corporate stuff going on. You know, it's, it's just very different from my mentality and how I learn best and what being a surgeon even meant to me to begin with. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I do know what you mean. I mean, I went to school to work on dairy cows and I kind of fell into small animal medicine, never thought I would be a mobile practitioner. So I guess, you know, in a way I can relate to that. You know, I, I like kind of fixing things with popsicle sticks sometimes and having to yeah. get a little creative yeah. and, you know, treating every patient, even if you have no resources, like what can you figure out? What can you do? And that brings me a lot of joy to practice that way. Not all the time. Like sometimes I get tired and I'm like, okay, I just want to run all the tests and know what's going on and have the answers. But, you know, when you get a win in that scenario, it's so rewarding. It really is. You know, that, that fixing things with popsicle sticks, that's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Like there is no greater gratification than a successful surgery, fixing the thing with your hands. Like I'm a hands-on yeah. person. I like to do stuff. Like I, I can get a little cerebral in, in my head, which is why I ended up kind of going towards the CE path, I guess. But I'm also a musician. I, I play the flute and, you know, I work, with, I love to work with my hands. And so that sort of idea of like fixing, literally, I fixed it myself is so, so gratifying. Sure. But also, like you said, like, it's tiring. It's tiring and you want to go to sleep sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to that point, on call in the middle of night, not good for me. Waking up super early, not good for me. And so, <laughs> you know, there were just like a lot of things that were just like, mm, this is this is just not not going to work. This is not going to work. Yeah, it just wasn't a good fit. You know, as, as much as, you know, you get the joy from fixing things with your hands, that environment wasn't conducive to what works best for you. And I mean, that's the beautiful thing about veterinary medicine, though, right? Of So much of this field in, involves fixing things with your hands. And it's funny, we were talking about the popsicle sticks. That's something I say a lot. But I actually did have like a little rat terrier. So, you know, little like skinny little legs. And she was just a puppy. She was little, no resources whatsoever. And I splinted her broken leg with popsicle sticks. And she did great. That's amazing. You go, girl, because why not? Why <laughs> <Right>. not? Like, <laughs> we're totally yeah, like, if we're just, what are we going to do? Put her down? No, right. like, we can, we can right. give her a chance. Right. I remember in my surgical residency, there was a, a fracture in a puppy Aww. and they didn't have the money to do it. And, the, you know, my mentors, I remember, were encouraging me to euthanize the dog. And I was like, you've got to be out of your mind. Yeah. We're going to fix this. And we did. We found a way. We found a way. But, you know, I think that 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 there's sort of this like black and white mentality that can happen in veterinary medicine. That's like if you can't fix it perfect, euthanize. That's that's really hard for me, you know. And I love I love how just in general we've moved, I, at least at least from what I've heard, I feel like we've moved a little bit more away from the terminology of like standard of care and move to spectrum of care. Like, yes. you know, if the animal's not in pain and, you know, you're, you're, you have a reasonable treatment plan, even if it's not gold standard, you can still do a lot of good for those animals. You know, I'm sure it's not gold standard to splint a leg with popsicle sticks, but <laughs> the leg healed and she did great. Yeah. And, and, and that animal, it was ideal. It was perfectly ideal. Right. I love that about the spectrum of care. I've, I've read a few articles about that lately and they resonate so much. And I, I think, I love that that idea of spectrum of care and knowing that there's just so many ways and so many 
you know, ways to do it for different people, different budgets, different mentalities as a veterinarian and different sensibilities of how you like to practice. And so I think, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much involved here because I think that's one of the the most rewarding parts. I like how you put it there, you know, any budget, any family, any situation. That's a, that's one of my favorite parts of veterinary medicine is that human animal bond component and understanding the relationship between the owner and their pet and how to how to best approach that animal and do the best you can for that animal while still respecting the budget, respecting the relationship between the pet and the owner. And you know, that's when we get into mobile practice a little bit. You just get such an intimate relationship with everybody and to be involved in that relationship is is another really rewarding part. Oh my God. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So kind of bringing it back to your original question, how did I get from surgical residency? Yeah. And and I, I think that embracing that spectrum of care was definitely a part of my transition out of the surgical or specialty realm, not wanting to be in the black and white and wanting to embrace the gray areas. And and like you said, that 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 sacred connection between the client and the caregiver and like going back to the James Harriet, like this is this really special thing, you know, like you show up in the home and you have a connection, you have a bond and you're, you're not rushing people next, 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 next. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us are facing right now in today's veterinary medicine and clinics and, you know, sometimes specialty medicine as well, ER, of course. But, you know, I think I was craving a little bit more of that. And I, I, I think for me, the, the point was always to be the best version of myself as a vet as I could be. And I thought surgery was the path to that. But it turns out that it was house call practice, which is the exact opposite. <laughs> the other end of the spectrum. But hey, that's why we have this spectrum, right? Yeah. And it turns out where I, I really thrived. I really loved connecting with people. I, I really loved comforting them and giving them options and just the, the connection. I, I really found that really special and wanting to cultivate it more. I never thought I would want that, but it turns out as I became a more experienced veterinarian that I did find that more valuable and more nourishing for my heart and soul, basically. And then, you know, there was there was one thing we were talking a little bit before this podcast recently, and, and it occurred to me, one of the seeds of how I got into house call practice happened after I left the surgical residency, and I didn't have any other job or clinic or resources available to me in the form of platform or a space, a a clinic, a equipment, nothing. You know, I didn't even have a prescription pad. And I remember this intense feeling of like, oh my God, I am nothing without the clinic that I work at. I have nothing. If my neighbor comes to me with a dog that's limping, I, I can't even help them. There's nothing I can do. And I remember that feeling of like almost like impotence, like what good is my license if I if I don't have the resources available to me or, you know, even a prescription pad to call in some pain meds, <laughs> Medicam, nothing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so I remember shortly after stepping away from the residency, I started hoarding medical supplies. <laughs> like I went on a shopping spree at CVS and I was like, all right, let me get some bandage material. Let me get even just some Neosporin. Like what can I get over the counter just so that I have like some something like <laughs> I can yeah. do a bandage or I can do anything like so I'm not nothing without the clinic, you know. And so I still have all of that stuff, collected dust. I've never used any of it really. <laughs> I remember that feeling of like I need to have autonomy. I need to have 
agency and I need to be able to be a vet regardless of whether I work in a team or not, whether I work in a brick and mortar clinic or not, whether I'm employed or not, I need to be able to be a vet on my terms, just me, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say I came to it a little bit differently, although I can relate, I can 100% relate to what you're saying. Also found myself with no clinic, no job, and was trying to figure out how to treat patients and answer questions and stuff like that when I didn't have anything. And so my practice was kind of very slowly born out of this of like, okay, let me just knock this together and put this together and see how it goes. Really not anticipating this being a long-term thing, but getting that feeling of autonomy and of, you know, controlling my schedule and and my patient load and where I went and, and all of this stuff. Yeah, that sucked me in really fast. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. I like this. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of things that, you know, I didn't really expect that fell on my plate all of a sudden. And so learning to deal with those was a challenge. But the autonomy made up for all of it. I I feel that 100%. Like, just knowing that you're your own doctor. You don't have someone looking over your shoulder telling you how to practice, how many patients to see, how long to spend with each client, what kind of medicine to practice that you can address that spectrum of care without the fear of, you know, whoever, mentors, colleagues, what, I mean, of course, as long as you're within, you know, compliant medicine, obviously, but you know, there's a lot of judgment for something that's not quote unquote standard of care. And, and sometimes rigidity that folks don't understand why another colleague or employee might have proceeded in a certain way with a certain case. And it's like, this might have been the appropriate thing in this particular case, right? And I think there's just something so freeing about not having to ever worry about that with your, just your own patients, you, it's you and the client, what, what works for us, what works for me, you and this patient, that's it. It's the VCPR, not the VCPR employer (laughs) mentor who's mean to you or judgmental, or, (laughs) you know, it's, it's just, it's just the three of y'all, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just something so special about that to return to that kind of care, right? And I think it gives you this really neat perspective, too, when you have those kind of relationships with clients, because then taking, you know, I, I work regular relief in a clinic one day a week. And so then taking that into the clinic, and I feel like you know, having seen pets at home and in that environment, it just... I I like the perspective that it gives me when I'm talking to clients in the clinic. Like when they're telling me stories, I'm like, okay, all right, I can picture that. I can understand it in a way that I I didn't until I did house call practice. Totally. I relate to that so much, actually. I find like my quote unquote bedside manner has gotten way, way, way better when I'm doing relief work because it's just like an instant, like kind of personal connection that Mm -hmm. I now I've cultivated that as well. And people feel comfortable. The problem is when I go into the clinic now, my appointments are a little bit long. (laughs) Yeah, same. I get so behind. (laughs) Yeah, but the clients love it. Like the, and the patients appreciate it too. I I always call this a cat and dog time. Like we're not on the clinic time. We are on cat and dog time, however long it takes to do the thing or to Mm -hmm. do the exam or to see the ear or whatever it is cat and dog time it's on their time you know I like Like it (laughs) yeah I mean if you have a little chihuahua who is screaming over a nail trim like it might take you 10 minutes to do that without causing anybody horrible stress Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot you can do 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of have to go with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's also so interesting. I, I found after doing house call exclusive for a long, long time, the first time I did a relief shift in a few months, which I did to help out the clinic, not because I needed to, but I got there and I, I forgot how scared those animals are and how they're not that way at home. I can see their fear and I can, it's palpable now in a way that I was like, oh, it's just kind of a a fractious animal it's like no no this animal is terrified out of their mind Uh, yeah and and again I think that goes back to that bedside manner of it's changed my approach to those animals of instead of okay well you know we're just gonna have to figure out how to do this so we can move on to the next room which is where I think I was prior to doing house calls exactly like you said it's so much clearer what's going on and so yeah then we get on that cat and dog time and it's okay what can we do to make this easier not you know no I don't like getting shots I'm kind of scared of shots nothing's gonna make me not want to get a shot and excited about getting a shot but at least like make the experience to where the next time they have to come in we haven't made it so much harder to get them in the door Totally. I think most house call vets that I know kind of have evolved their own sort of anxiety free experience just because we're we're so much more intimate in in it. We're in it, you know, and so and we it's can, just us. So we have to just we have us. to convince we have them. To. Yeah, some of us have a tech, some of us don't. And just by virtue of some of us working solo, you figure it out. And it's mm-hmm. it's amazing. It's amazing. It's really cool. And it's it's neat to see what what we can convince animals to let us do if you know if we get on that cat and dog time and we go okay and it it can you know I it can leave me writing records like super super late I will say it's not perfect um there there are definite downfalls but I just I, I love that rewarding feeling of when you have this really fearful animal and you can kind of work through it with them and help them understand everything's okay and you know even if they aren't thrilled about what you're doing they will at least allow you to do what you need to do absolutely yeah I I totally agree with that and and it 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 sometimes takes time too and they they allow they allow things that in the clinic I could never do solo mm-hmm. blood, blood draws solo I do in in mm-hmm. home but I don't think you know, with the level of stress and anxiety and fear that these animals are experiencing the clinic, I don't think I could do it there. You know, the noises and sounds and yeah, chaos. The smells. The, the smells, the pheromones, all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've just gone off on like a whole tangent of the joys of house call practice. <laughs> and it's been so fun. I feel like I could sit here for another like hour and talk about that or or more or the rest of the day, you know. Did I derail us? <laughs> no, I think it was a joint effort on both of our parts because we both really enjoy what we do and have discovered this whole other world of house call practice. Tell me, you know, having been a house call practice for several years now, how long have you had your practice? Since 2016, so almost seven years. So having done that for for seven years now, how do you feel like house call practices fit into veterinary medicine as a whole? Ooh, I like that question. I would say there's a lot of perspectives that I could answer that question from. I think we can't really talk about veterinary medicine without talking about burnout, compassion, fatigue, suicide, depression, anxiety, all of these things, right? And I think that particularly since the pandemic and the effects that that's had on our profession and 
and the individual professionals within it, there's been a big shift over to house call practice. And it I think it's kind of like this oasis for people. It's like almost a way out of the grind, um, a way to reclaim, like we were talking about, our autonomy, our agency, our ability to practice medicine on our own terms and on our own time. And so I think where house call practice falls in veterinary medicine from the well-being perspective is that it is safe haven, or it can be. It can be when you do it right. It can definitely be a source of burnout. It can definitely be a source of stress. And you can definitely sign up with a national chain of house call company that just puts you right back where you were in the clinic. But, you know, when you do it right, the potential is there for you to become healthy again. So I think from that perspective, you know, I think house call practice is like (laughs) the the answer, (laughs) the answer, uh, capital T, capital A. And I think from client perspective, I think it's also an answer to some of the stresses that clients and animals feel in the clinic, being rushed, being a number, feeling, feeling a lot of clients feel that they are on the other end of a quota. They feel that. Yeah. And that's like, especially knowing how I feel about seeing clients in general, including seeing clients in the clinic, like that would just, I don't know, that would hurt my heart to know that somebody was feeling that way. And, and hence why I get really, really far behind when I'm in the clinic, because I'm like, no, it's important to me that we make this connection and that, you know, you understand that what we're talking about here is important. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like a return to that idea that people don't live for happiness. They live for meaning. And when you gloss over those appointments, you try and get through them all as fast as possible and you cut people off. You don't let them finish their story. I mean, to a point, like obviously you you can't literally hear their entire life story when you're in the clinic. It's it's a different sure. environment, of course. But to a to a point, if you're just like not letting them in even a little bit, where where's the meaning in the work? It's just a chore. It's just a to-do list item and it becomes empty, at least in my experience. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And yeah, I mean, and there's so much meaning in our work in general of I'm, I'm looking at my dog sleeping under my chair right now, snoring his face off. And, <laughs> you know, he means the world to me. He's a pain in my neck, but I love mm-hmm. him to death. And so, you know, I would never want to lose the meaning in caring for the relationship between people and their, their furry friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when people come into the clinic, I, I know it's frustrating when people want to tell you about every pet they've ever had. And I, I know it's like I have 5 million things to do. Oh, the pressure is real when you're in that clinic. Like you you don't have all day, but I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like I don't like that. <laughs> but I want to sit here for two hours I do. and listen about I, I all do. your pets and their I life do. story I mean, and your life story. It's not nice to cut someone off. <laughs> it's not <Right>. nice. <laughs> there you go. Oh, and I'm in the South. So yeah, we talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, of course, this is not judgment on anyone who's in a clinic and who has to function that you have to. We right. have to in that environment. Well, it sounds like, you know, just house call practice. It sounds like, you you know, you and I both agree from our collective experience that it's got a really special place in veterinary medicine. And, you know, I think of a friend of mine who has told me like, no, it's not for me. And, and that comes from an ownership perspective and some of the challenges that come with having your own practice and you know, everything kind of falling back to you and back on you. And so, you know, people who say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't 
see it. Like it's it's not for me. I think it, it's just like anything in veterinary medicine where you know, I said, okay, well, you know, the, the flip side of it is is not for me. So not to make it sound all wine and roses, there are a lot of challenges that come with it, but I it sounds like for both of us just the how rewarding it is offsets any challenges that we've come across. Overwhelmingly so. I mean, yeah. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I I've I talked to a ton of people who are either decided it's not for them or not sure if it is for them because they're afraid of the business side of things, the financials and mm-hmm. and you know, the licensing and the business side of things and to me it's just overwhelmingly worth it when you lead with fulfilling your potential in your profession and finding meaning and love of the work you're doing is all just it's all just like whatever just we'll take care of it it's a to-do list item and as long as you hire the appropriate help and you're not trying to do everything yourself reinvent the wheel you don't have to do your own accounting you don't have to do your own financials there are advisors for this you don't have to like reinvent how to do house call practice I'm an advisor for that I could literally give you the exact roadmap it's and it's completely doable i i always feel like there is some risk involved in in business owning mm-hmm. of course when you are an entrepreneur you take risk and you don't have someone with a steady paycheck for you necessarily but you can build that for yourself you can be you can provide your own paycheck when when you know how to start your own business and you know how to have a successful business and there are tried and true ways to do that and the other thing is, have you ever heard of a veterinarian that has been unemployed ever? You know, not in today's day and age. I mean, I graduated in fourteen, and so it, we were kind of right at the tail end of that really big lapse where there were unemployed veterinarians. But no, not in today's day and age. Right. So there's always a need, always a need. If God forbid your practice it doesn't make it, which is highly, highly, highly unlikely, especially if you you know have trusted advisors kind of giving you a pathway. You always have relief work. You'll always mm-hmm. have a job. You'll never you'll never be without work or without a paycheck. You just have to kind of finagle it and and work it out so that you have your plan B, which in most cases no one needs. Right. Right. I would agree with that of both with the not needing it and the fact that there there is such a need out there for veterinarians. So, yeah, it'll it'll be okay. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> if it's not for you, then it's not for you. I respect that as well. But I do think a lot of people don't pursue it out of fear. And it's that fear that holds them back from really having a beautiful practice that they absolutely adore. You know, I was so afraid. I didn't think I could do it. I did it. And I I love my life now. I, I, over and over and over again, I hear that story. Yeah, I would say add me to that list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely there. Well, we touched on it at the beginning when we first started about the House Call Vet Academy. So let me kind of, you know, give you a moment here. Tell us more about the House Call Vet Academy. And then there's a House Call Vet conference as well, right? Is that what it's called? Uh-huh. House Call and Mobile Vet Virtual Conference, February 18th and 19th, 2023. Coming up. Coming up. Yeah. <laughs> So the House Call Vet Academy started because, as I told you a little bit before, because of my own challenges and my own path with having to learn everything the hard way, which came with some business burnout. It, You know, I did have my own experience with burnout in my own business. And I think that it wasn't necessary, given that there is there, there are people who've done this before, people who've had success and people who've worked through these hard lessons 
the hard way so that everyone else doesn't have to, right? And so at a certain point, I had this practice that I was like, oh my God, I'm not burnt out. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm so happy. I love my clients. I love my patients. I feel like I'm a good vet. I'm I'm providing the veterinary care I've always wanted to provide. And like, holy crap, like there's something here, you know? And so I ended up putting together a CE training that's over 30 CE hours, race approved. And it is on-demand video content and written content and, you know, downloads and templates and checklists and, you know, assignments and things like that. And then there's also the option to join a monthly group coaching call where we connect. Like a lot of us in the group know know each other by face and name and we know each other's stories and, you know, we check in every month and then we'll, we'll have a guest expert speak to us. Like, my CPA speaks with us sometimes. I've, we have a group financial advisor that speaks with us and my attorney, multiple attorneys of mine have spoken with us. So we have a lot of guest experts for things that are outside the scope of what I can, you know, reasonably give you information on. And then we have a private Facebook group so that mm-hmm. when folks are going through the material and, you know, questions come up, I can help people apply it to their unique practices. And yes, many of those templates and checklists live in my Google Drive to continue filling out and (laughs) doing all of those. And it's so nice, like, you know, just to give an example, like the vendor list, I was like, ah, like some of these places I didn't even know existed. And, you know, it's such a great resource. So having everything just kind of condensed in front of you, if you're if you're thinking about mobile practice or maybe you are like me and you have a mobile practice, but know there's a lot of holes um, can't recommend the House Call Vet Academy highly enough. Like it, it really has a ton of resources that'll get you over those really difficult humps that don't have to be really difficult. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just really happy to hear that it's been so helpful for you. And yeah, I just like see you there with that list. <laughs> that thing was a monstrous. It's a document. really long list. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm so glad she put this together. So I don't have to. <laughs> And then for the conference itself, is that kind of the same concept as the coaching call, but more widely available that you're having experts come in and talk about different aspects of practice? Yeah, to some extent, it's, it is an extension of the House Call Vet Academy. As I started doing this work, I started the academy about a year and a half ago, so it's still fairly new. And as I started leaning into this work and seeing the need that was out there, it also became clear that what people needed in veterinary medicine and even more so in solo house call practice was a sense of community and being able to connect with other folks who are doing literally the exact same thing we're doing, but just in their own little islands, you know, like there's there's forums and things out there where people talk, but there's there was nothing like event oriented or, you know, face to face oriented. And I am working on an in-person component. I think the conference will always be virtual because everyone's so busy. Sure. But I do think that there will be an annual reunion in person that I'm working on. Oh my goodness. That sounds like a huge project. It is. Yeah. I I have a few unanswered questions about how to make it happen, but (laughs) it is in progress. So stay tuned. But yeah, I mean, it's our conference is not only guest experts, but it's us speaking. So it's really important to me to have us house call vets giving the lectures. Like who else is more of an expert on house call practice than a house call vet? 
you're the one doing it. Let me give you a voice. You know what I mean? Very cool. Yeah. So we've got panels, we have speakers. And, you know, one big important thing to me is that I don't accept corporate sponsorship. So that's a unique thing. I don't know of any other vet conference that's like that. So that that's an interesting kind of component to it. We'll see how it goes. It's very, I mean, if it's anything like the course, then I have no doubt you are hitting it out of the park. Ah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. It's the second annual. So hopefully it's good. Is it like so many things when you're running them like a little easier each time or is it getting more complicated? A little easier? It's definitely the first time around was like, the most tremendous project I've ever worked on in my life. This time around, it's a little easier. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I can't. I'm trying to picture what that would be like to put that conference together. And oh, my goodness. A bit insane, but worth it. (laughs) Good, good. Well, Eve, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me about all of this. I'm forcing myself to wrap up here because otherwise this is going to be a six and a half hour podcast episode (laughs) about all of our stories about our wonderful patients. Anything else you want to make sure to get out there to the community? I think we covered it. I just wanted to say I'm really proud of you and everything you're achieving with your practice. And it's it's just been really nice having you, you know, as a part of the group. And thank you just so much for sharing the word about the Academy and the conference and everything. I just really appreciate that. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. It's such an honor to get to talk to you. And I'm so glad that we're getting the word out there because it's been such an amazing experience for me that hopefully somebody else will, you know, it'll it'll get somebody else to check it out and help them fill in all the gaps in their practice as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Are you guys still with us? I know that was a long one, but I hope you enjoyed it and and had as much fun as we did. I want to say a huge thank you to the amazing Dr. Eve for joining me. I really hope we can do this again sometime. It It was just wonderful. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. <laughs> <laughs>